0: We discuss more of Brigham Young's Plural Wives next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? We continue in our efforts to equate our viewers with each individual wife of Brigham Young. Studying his wives and how he treated them answers the following questions. One, Was he a man enough, was he man enough, i put it that way, was he man enough to be a good and godly husband to each and every wife? Two, did he provide all of the needs of each wife? And three, did he show favoritism or did he treat each wife equally? Now before we begin the the details of these wives, today we like to quote from early Mormon polygamists to illustrate how polygamy was regarded in early Mormonism. We quote a remark by Jedediah M. Grant, who was a leader and an apostle of the early Mormon church. He was well known for his blistering and fanatical (laughs) speeches that he made during the Mormon Reformation of the 1850s. Yeah,
1: he was powerful, I guess. (laughs) And we have women here who like anything but the celestial law of God. And if they could break asunder the cable of the Church of Christ, there is scarcely a mother in Israel but would do it this day. And they talk it to their husbands, to their daughters, and to their neighbors, and say they have not seen a week's happiness since their husbands took a second wife.
0: Okay, well that kind of <laughs> explains it all, doesn't it? Now Jedediah M. Grant, of course, here is... is um, uh, castigating yes, them of because of their attitude against polygamy, and we need to to mention here to those who may not be familiar with it, Mormonism thinks they are Israel. They are, think they're Israel today. So when he says the women in Israel, he's talking about women in Mormonism that didn't dislike polygamy, and this, of course, and many other statements have been quoted through the years. Proves that polygamy was not peace and quiet and holy and and harmonious and all of that. Yeah. stuff they say it was but it was painful and a sad way of life especially for the females another quote is from an eliza young book wife number 19 the story of a life in bondage which gives us a bit of insight into brigham young's treatment of his
1: wives <laughs> kind of funny clara decker one of his numerous wives was sadly in want of some furs and she did not hesitate to ask brother young to supply her needs he became positively furious and declared that her extravagance was beyond all endurance. She wanted to ruin him. She was determined to ruin him. All his wives were banded together for his financial downfall and so on with endless abuse. She listened impatiently for a few minutes, then getting tired of all this abuse, she, she interrupted him. If you think, Brigham Young, that I care anything for you except for your money and what little I can get from you, you are mistaken. I might have cared more once, but that was a long time ago. She then, left, she then turned and left the room, leaving him petrified with amazement. A few hours after, a set of furs was sent to her room. She quietly took them, and the subject was never referred to again. <laughs>
0: Now we have to we have to remind our viewers this isn't fur coats. This isn't, you know, mink coats and, and all of that. It's furs that they used in those days for blankets and to keep yeah. warm and
1: beaver furs probably and, mm-hmm. or something.
0: So that's how he treated his wives. <laughs> at least some of the time. Yeah. We ended part four last time of this series with the introduction of Brigham Young's 30th plural wife, Rhoda Richards. And so this time we're going to present the details. She had been a plural wife of Joseph Smith. In fact, was the oldest of Smith's plural wives. She was 58 years old when she married Smith. Hmm. Now, Rhoda Richards was the sister of Willard Richards, who had been one of Joseph Smith's 12 apostles and was himself a polygamist. We quote from Nauvoo Polygamy about events after she and her sister were converted to Mormonism and moved to Nauvoo.
1: By May 1st, 1843, she was living in Joseph Smith's red brick store. Her brother, Willard, had just become the first of Smith's inner circle to take a plural wife that year. On Monday, June 12, Rhoda herself, at age 58, the oldest of Joseph's wives, married her landlord and prophet. On that same day, Willard took a third plural wife. Rhoda continued to live at the store, which was also used for Masonic ceremonies, early temple endowments, plural marriage sealings, and priesthood meetings.
0: Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's the marriage of Rhoda to Joseph Smith. She was Joseph Smith's 28th wife, and she moved into the red brick store rather than into Joseph Smith's home. Several other women were already living with in his home with Emma and and he was secretly teaching them polygamy while they lived there and he ended up marrying many of the women that lived yeah. with them. Rhoda's brother Willard Richards performed a ceremony between his sister and Joseph Smith. Later in her life she wrote in her diary about the loneliness that she suffered.
1: Hmm. I have witnessed the death of many near and dear friends, both old and young. I have passed companionless through life, but I am sure of having my proper place and standing in the resurrection, having been sealed to the prophet Joseph, according to the celestial law, by his own request.
0: So she suffered the loneliness here, so sure she that she, a she would have it, in it
1: there. Yeah.
0: Actually, celestial marriage is not and never was a valid law of God and is merely a myth, propaganda taught by Mormon polygamists. Now, after Rhoda traveled west to Salt Lake City, she publicly confirmed that she had been married to Joseph Smith on June 12th of 1843. Now, that came out publicly publicly but he always kept his marriages secret when they happened. Oh. As we've mentioned before, Brigham Young and Heber Kimball swooped in after Joseph Smith died and added many of his widows to their own harems. Rhoda Richards was one of them that was taken and sealed to Brigham Young. They were first cousins. <laughs>
1: Seven months or so after Smith was killed, Rhoda married her first cousin, Brigham Young, and the ceremony was re-solemnized on January 31st, 1846, with Young standing as proxy for Smith. Rhoda and her brothers journeyed to Utah in 1847.
0: So she made her travels west under the protection of her brothers, not under the protection of of, uh, Brigham Young. Hmm. In Salt Lake City... Uh, Rhoda was among the Mormon female hierarchy, along with Eliza Snow and Zena Huntington and her sister Priscilla Huntington and others. And these women had been married to Joseph Smith and were now part of Joseph or of Brigham Young's harem. Now, there's no history of Rhoda living in the Lion House, which was where many of Brigham Young's plural wives were installed. But she did go there from time to time to visit her husband. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> An odd relationship for a married couple since, since she married him for time. Why didn't they spend some meaningful time together?
1: Mm.
0: Rhoda lived a, a long life in Salt Lake City as a faithful Mormon woman, and she died at 94 years old basically of illnesses that were attributed to her old age.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's the story.
1: But is in, uh, in, interesting to marry her for time? Well, the, there can only be one purpose for that, right?
0: It doesn't make... <laughs> I still don't get that, where where they marry him for time, and especially when they're old like that. Why, yeah. why do that? And why marry him for time? Why mm. not why not i mean he she supposedly eternally sealed to joseph smith right
1: wow, okay so that's the so he would only marry her for time so brigham
0: young was just for time not for eternity yeah. but why
1: yeah they didn't know.
0: live together <laughs> i don't i don't understand mm-hmm. that and have you ever noticed as we've gone we've gone through so many of these historical yeah. things with polygamous early mormon polygamists, have you ever noticed how many times they marry and then remarry and then reseal their marriage and then they have a proxy marriage and the same marriage to the same couple will yeah. be redone several different do you times. Think they
1: break up for a time or separate or unless get, they get
0: a whole of your building to do it in. I don't know. I
1: don't,
0: I don't, I don't know. know what it is. Um, I don't know. So the next wife <laughs> is a woman that Brigham Young married uh, as the first one he married in February of 1844 was Zena Diantha Huntington Jacobs. He was 44 and she was 25. She was a married woman.
1: Hmm.
0: Her husband was Henry Jacobs, but that didn't matter to Joseph Smith or to Brigham Young. They both took her as a plural wife and lived with her sexually. In fact, she and Brigham had a child together. Now, she has an interesting but very tragic history, and we've talked about it several times in the past. But for new viewers, we're going to briefly review her story, tell it again. And, of course, you can get full information off the Internet. There's two books written uh, about their lives. One is Nauvoo Polygamy by George D. Smith, and the other one is In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton. Both
1: excellent Both
0: excellent excellent about early Mormon polygamy. First, we want to quote uh, from Annie Liza Young again about the system of polygamy.
1: (laughs) Two cases show the workings of the polygamic system in the families of the rich and the poor. It is as hateful in the one case as in the other and equally productive of misery in both. I have yet to learn of one woman who is happy in it. Like Zena Young, they say, the system must be right, I suppose. We are taught that it is. But if that is the case, we must live it wrongly. There is a fault somewhere. <laughs>
0: oh, you know, I read that and I just, I'm so sad for these ladies because. And they were
1: just so trusting and so yes. blind but faithful to their. But, prophets. Yeah, to their prophets. Yeah. But it must be living it wrongly because there's a problem here. <laughs> there's a problem. There's some fault
0: somewhere. And there was some fault somewhere. Yeah. And it is in the doctrine And it's in the teaching of it and the living of it. She said they believed it was right because they were taught it was right. Isn't that sad? They they should have listened to Jesus instead of Joseph. They would have known it wasn't right, but that they were listening to false teachers. Anytime and anywhere there is a teaching that adds anything or any person to the salvation that belongs only to Jesus Christ is at fault. There's only one Savior. And he needs no help from us to save us. We have a couple of quotes.
1: Yeah, These are all from Isaiah 43.3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. From 43.11. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. And uh, 63.8. He said, Surely they, they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their Savior.
0: Polygamy is not the savior. No matter what you say, polygamy will add not will not add to anybody's salvation. And notice 63:8, uh, where he said, "These people who were not false to him, he adopted them, he took them as sons, and became their savior." Yet Mormonism has been false to God by creating polygamy and all sorts of works and ordinances they claim is needed to help save them. But there is only one savior. He's the Lord God, Jesus Christ who paid the price and worked the work needed for us to be saved. Zena Huntington thought she had been taught right, and she believed in the Mormon teaching, but she had a sad life. Her husband Henry Jacob's life was even more (laughs) tragic than Zena's. Now, Zena had been Joseph Smith's third wife. In fact, Smith married the Huntington sisters, Zena and Priscindia, and both of them were married to other men at the time that Joseph Smith took them as a wife. As with so many of Joseph Smith's proposals before he married the Huntington girls, they were first invited to live with he and Emma in their home. And while they were living there, Henry Jacobs, who was a faithful Mormon, Young man, he took a liking to Zena and secretly, however, at that time she was receiving plural marriage revelation instructions from Joseph Smith. (laughs) We quote from Nauvoo Polygamy.
1: Zena spoke frequently with Smith, who must have tutored, tutored her over the space of a year on the principle of plural marriage and eventually asked her to be his wife. Joseph pressed Zena for an answer to his marriage proposal on at least three occasions in 1840, but she avoided answering him. Interesting. Instead, Zena married 23-year-old Henry Jacobs. They asked Joseph to perform the ceremony, but he declined. Neither would he agree to attend the <laughs> wedding. He was ticked. He,
0: he, was, he was mad. He's not he playing marbles mad. with them anymore. <laughs> Joseph didn't take no for an answer very often, and he certainly didn't take no willingly. And a few months later, he visited Zena And insisted that the Lord had told him that he was to take her for a celestial wife. And what is interesting and sad about this entire story is that Henry Jacobs evidently accepted this on the assumption that whatever the prophet did was right. So Joseph Smith cleverly insinuated himself into their marriage. Hmm. On October 27th, Zena was six months pregnant with her first child. She was 21 years old and became the first Mormon woman to accept a polyandrous marriage. Evidently, Henry Jacob accepted this sacrifice that was asked of him without complaint, even though his heart was breaking. Less than two weeks after marrying pregnant Zena, another man's wife, Joseph Smith addressed the Mormons in a meeting, and this is part of what he said.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine a prophet standing up and saying this? If you will not accuse me, I will not accuse you. If you will throw your cloak of charity over my sins, I will over yours. (laughs) For charity covereth a multitude of sins. What many people call sin is not sin. I do many things to break down superstition, and I will break it down.
0: And he did do many things, didn't he? He calls it breaking down superstition, but it was breaking God's laws. Two weeks after Zena's first child was born, Joseph Smith sent her husband away on a mission to Chicago, the first of many times that Henry was sent away on mission so that Joseph Smith could play with his wife. Now, we don't know the details of Zena and Joseph Smith's growing relationship during those times that he was away. But just before Joseph Smith was killed, Henry returned to find out, to find that his wife was accompanying Joseph to private meetings involving Masonic handshakes and oath and special clothing, all of which yeah. were integrated into the Mormon temple ritual. So she must have been something special to him yeah, that she, she was the female been. escort to, yeah, these meetings. to these
1: meetings. Yeah.
0: Now, the Mormon teaching on eternal marriage uh, concludes that Zena and her children belong to Joseph Smith not to Henry, even though he was their legal father and husband, they belonged to Joseph, not him. And now this is all Mormonism, okay? No. It's, it's not true. <laughs> Imagine the emotional pain and the strain that this must have had on Henry.
1: Sure.
0: And, and he was always faithful to do just what the Mormon leaders told him to do. To follow the follow-the-leader mindset that Henry Jacobs had continued after Joseph Smith's death uh, when his loyalty was then transferred to Brigham Young. We quote again from Nauvoo Polygamy.
1: On February 2, 1846, Brigham Young invited Zena, six months pregnant with Henry's second son, into the Nauvoo Temple for a second sealing to the deceased Smith. Brigham Young stood as proxy and Henry as witness. Then Young sealed himself to Zena for time. Henry witnessed this marriage as well. So
0: there again. So here we have a second ceiling. Why? It wasn't time. the first ceiling good enough? No, a yeah. second ceiling to, 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 bring Joseph, in, to Smith. Joseph Smith. Right. And but she had already done that. Why again? That's
1: true. I don't
0: know. Uh, it's like it I've never expires. Heard an explanation of that. <laughs> I don't know. And then, of course, uh, Henry was witness. I, I, don't, that I don't understand how he could do that. Yeah. Um, the Mormons, of course, began traveling west under Brigham's leadership. And the month following their polygamous marriage, <laughs> Uh, with her marriage with Brigham Young, Zena left Nauvoo and she was under her husband Henry's protection when they left. But when they arrived in Iowa and stayed there for a bit, Brigham interrupted their journey together and he sent Henry away on another mission, this time to England. Brigham advised him that he needed to go find a wife who could be his eternal partner because Zena belonged to him now. And after Henry was gone, she became part of Brigham Young's family of plural wives. In Zena's autobiography by William Hall, he writes how Brigham Young (coughs) advised Henry Jacobs.
1: It was time for men who were walking in other men's shoes to step out of them. Brother Jacobs, the woman you claim for a wife, does not belong to you. She is the spiritual wife of Brother Joseph, sealed up to him, and I am his proxy— and she in this behalf with her children are my property. You can go where you please and get another, but be sure to get one of your own kindred spirit.
0: <laughs> so he just booted him out. Yeah, booted him out. The attitude, and they were still <laughs> legally married, by the way. Zena and Henry remained legally married
1: Throughout their through their
0: lives. Uh, uh, the attitude of Mormon polygamous men then and now is that the wife is his property. He can do with her whatever he wants to do. Henry's heart is broken, of course. He loved his wife. He had fathered children with her, and now they all belong to Brigham Young for time and to Joseph Smith for eternity. He had lost everything he loved forever. On top of all that, when this removal of Henry took place, he was very, very sick. I think one account said they hauled him away on a... uh,
1: And he was still doing these missions?
0: And they went on his mission. Wow. Now, the pain, uh, as we go through some of these things, we can see the pain and heartbreak of the false doctrine. It's mind-boggling. Yes. And, and having been raised in polygamy group and seeing the pain, I, I can understand some of it, but I didn't see all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's so ugly. Um, And, and of course, especially when we read the Bible and realize there's no eternal marriage, there's no celestial marriage, there's no sealing of partners one to another for time and for eternity, there's no spiritual wives, there's no such thing. And the only sealing that anyone will find anywhere in the Bible is when a sinner turns to Jesus for forgiveness and with a repentant heart and the Holy Spirit seals that person to God. Mm. We're sealed to God by the Holy Spirit, and that's the only sealing that exists. In other words, once we belong to God, we cannot be lost from Him. We're His his forever, but there is no sealing teaching in the Bible for human families or for couples. Zena settled in Salt Lake City and served in different capacities for the LDS religion, as well as being a good and kind and thoughtful friend and neighbor. Every historical account that I've ever read about Zena describes her how kind and thoughtful of a mm. woman she was. She became a midwife. Even though she didn't like that particular job, Brigham Young wanted to do it, and so she obeyed him. And also, for a short time, she accepted his call to manage his cocoon worms, that were producing silk, <laughs> and this is something new that I learned. Yeah, I hadn't, I, I known had, this hadn't before. heard this
1: either. Zena was also an important figure in the silk industry, which was one of Brigham Young's pet projects. Though she was repulsed by the sight of silk worms, she accepted the calling to manage Brigham's cocoonery for one year in 1869. She fed and took care of millions of worms. Although there were months that her dreams were nightmare remembrances of her daily horror, in October of 1879 she became the first woman to speak in the traditionally all-male general conference sessions. Her subject in part was sericulture.
0: And of course sericulture is a process of of cultivating and extracting silk from silkworms. Wow! So she was the first woman to address an all-male conference in the Mormon Church. Interesting. Brigham Young died in Salt Lake City August 29th of 1877. And so, of course, that made Zena a plural wife widow for the second time, even though she still had a living and legal husband. Meanwhile, Henry Jacobs settled in Livermore, California, and he became a successful chicken farmer. Zebulon Jacobs, Henry and Zena's son, Visited his father in 1877 and wrote that his father burst into tears, threw his arm around his neck, and thanked God that he had seen his Mm -hmm. son again. That's a heartbreaking scene, isn't it? But they took Henry, who was sick at the time, back to Salt Lake with them. And he lived in a bedroom in Zena's home where he was cared for until he died at age 69. One account said that he was buried wearing all his ceremonial temple clothes, which means he would have been in full fellowship of the Mormon Church. But (laughs) the family's internet website says this.
1: En route to Utah from Nauvoo in 1846, he was called on a proselyting mission to England with his brother-in-law, Oliver B. Huntington. Arriving in winter quarters in 1847, both men were excommunicated for bringing plural wives with them but were later rebaptized continued on to utah in 1848 in 1851 he was disfellowshipped and later excommunicated moved to california remained there until 1880 when he returned to salt lake city where he died
0: okay so strange yeah in and out in and out yeah. and and i visited the salt lake city cemetery some years ago And I took some photos of Zena's grave and Henry's gravestone. And I put them on the screen there, and you can see the difference. Um, Note a couple of things. Zena's gravestone is big. Its (laughs) its size is huge, and Henry's is flat on the ground. Uh, Zena shows her to be, I don't think you can read that very good, but it does show her to be the wife of Brigham Young. And my question is, why not the wife of Joseph Smith?
1: Mm, that's true. Why
0: doesn't it say she's the wife of Henry Jacob? She was. <laughs> but it says she's the wife of Brigham Young. And, of course, the difference in her size is be, her gravestone is huge. Uh, it rises up way off the ground where Henry's is flat and flush against the surface. If the story that Henry was in full fellowship of the Mormon church when he died is true, we have to wonder how he could continue to believe in a church Where the prophet is supposed to be God's prophet, yet takes other men's wives away from their legal husbands and forces him to go away. Would a genuine prophet of God do that?
1: This doesn't seem right, does it?
0: We end part five with a comment made about this by Anne Eliza Young.
1: Zena D. Huntington was formerly the wife of a man named Henry Jacobs, who was at one time a Mormon. Brigham was attracted towards the wife, sent the husband off on a mission, and had Zena sealed to him. Jacobs, apostatized, not at all fancying this appropriation of his family. She is a very noble woman and has spent her life in the service of her ungrateful husband and the church.
0: And so she knew um, Zena Huntington. She knew the story personally. And so it seems that this report and some of the others I read that he was not in full fellowship as a Mormon when he was died and buried. It's more likely that he did reject the religion that stole his love and his life away from him. As we've said before, there's been some very strange (laughs) and ungodly marriages that these early Mormon polygamists... And there in. must have
1: been enough rumor when Joseph or Brigham would call men off to missions, and they had beautiful wives and. Uh, there must have been some rumor of, okay, well, I'm, I guess this is going to happen to me now. I don't know. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, it would be interesting to know about what well, happened. We know there were rumors it. because they had to publish things that denied it, so they had to have That's been, true. been rumors. That's true. But, oh my. And then when they found out when they denied it and then later found out they were true, what did the people think?
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't true. know, Earl. It was very well, and, strange.
1: And even that section 101 that we've quoted... Um, was in the Doctrine and Covenants till like 1876. Mm-hmm.
0: Then they so took So the it members
1: out. of the church had to be reading that section 101, and, and 132 wasn't have,
0: even in it yet.
1: Oh, wasn't it? No, they oh. replaced
0: 101 with 132. Oh,
1: but here they're saying, well, we only believe in one wife and one husband yeah. type thing, and and yet they're practicing polygamy. And in
0: 1852, they came out publicly practicing polygamy, and that was still in their Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. Oh, very strange. Very strange thinking. Very
1: compartmentalized.
0: (laughs) It is. It is. Thank you, Earl. Today's members of the mainline LDS church look down on Mormon polygamists. They call them apostates and immoral. I've even heard some of them refer to polygamists as freaks. But they're not freaks. They're people. They're human beings who think that they're doing what God has asked them to do, who have been led astray by false prophets, which began with Joseph Smith. If the LDS uh, members judge today's polygamists as immoral, then they are also judging their own Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and Orson Pratt and Parley Pratt and Lorenzo Snow and Wilford Woodruff and Willard Richards and Joseph F. Smith and Heber J. Grant and John Taylor and hundreds and hundreds of other pioneer Mormon polygamists as being immoral too. Because God doesn't change, and neither do his decrees. So, before LDS members start judging today's polygamists, they need to take a look at their own heritage and judge those who lied about God's character and about his commands. At the beginning, God installed monogamy, and God doesn't change, and neither do his decrees. Thank you for watching.
1: or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.